You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. Once upon a time, once upon a time, there were no Democrats, there were no Republicans. There was no constitution, there was no First Amendment or Second Amendment. There's no religious freedom as you and I uh, understand and live under that religious freedom. Once upon, once upon a time, there was just Rome. And Rome was a republic that had transitioned into a most powerful empire under Emperor Caesar Augustus. And under his reign, there was a baby that was born in a remote village in Judea, whose fame would eventually eclipse that of the emperor, and whose fame and influence would eclipse that of every emperor after Caesar Augustus in history of the Roman Empire. And he would stand up against the hypocrisy and duplicity of the established religious system of that day and the leadership, religious leadership of that day. He would stand up to an oppressive and corrupt government such as that, as, as Rome. He would teach that we would love our neighbor and love our enemy and pray for them. He would teach to turn the other cheek and to forgive everyone. And eventually... He was betrayed by a friend. He was condemned by the temple. He was crucified by the empire. And yet eventually, he was worshipped throughout the whole world. And once upon a time, Jesus' followers, Christians would gather early in the morning on the first day of the week and they may sing a hymn about this Jesus or to Jesus and they would pray together and they would read a fragment of a teaching that had been uh, circulated around the villages and the the different uh, port port cities or they'd tell a story or hear a parable of a teaching of this man Jesus and they would consider his crucifixion and his resurrection, and they would renew their vow to live faithfully under his lordship and to obey his teachings, and they would recommit to being a people of absolute purity and above reproach, hardworking, a people that are honest, men and women of integrity. And in those small gatherings in homes and in courtyards, you would find masters and slaves, men and women and children, Jews and Gentiles, farmers and merchants, Greeks and Romans, civilians and soldiers. And these pockets of people believed that God was spirit and not stone, which in that time was a big deal to not worship a statue, but to worship a God that was Holy Spirit. 
And they believed that the days of animal sacrifice had come to an end and that God was doing something brand new. And eventually, these people too were betrayed by friends, were condemned by the temple, were persecuted by the empire. And yet their influence spread like an airborne disease. And now it's our turn. Someday, one day, our generation of Christians will be written about and talked about. And you and I will be a once upon a time story. And so my question to us today is, what will be our once upon a time? What will be written about this generation of Christianity? Because we don't, we believe that we don't go to church, but that we are the church. Everywhere we go, we are the church. We are the people of God that He has selected. We are the stewards of, we are stewards of the faith for our generation. So, what will our story be? What will our generation of Christians be remembered for? As we close this series, Tough as Nails, today, I want us to go to a passage in the book of Acts that gives us a glimpse of the early church that is so challenging to us because there was once a version of Christianity that elicited heroic faith and heroic living. People stopped in their tracks and wondered, who are these people? They're fearless, they're confident, they're the most compassionate, the most generous, the most selfless people I know. They have their differences, but some way, somehow, when they gather and start reflecting on this Jewish carpenter, they figure out a way to get along and care for each other and work things out. Who are these people? People leaned in. And we're curious about this gathering of followers. They did not lean away. They leaned in. What's going on in that gathering? What are they saying about this guy? Isn't it weird that a carpenter would, would die? Why are they talking about he's the son of God? What does that even mean? And yet they are able to be persecuted and stand firm and willing to undergo whatever life has thrown, the, the uncertainty of life, without being fearful. If you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, the event that we're going to be talking about here happens a few months after Jesus had risen from the dead. Two of his guys, Peter and John, go up to the temple to pray and, and they come across a beggar who cannot walk. 
And he's been there begging for years. Everybody in the community knows this guy because every time you go to the temple, you see him there begging. And Peter looks at the guy and tells him, I, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give to you. Get up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ. And so he heals him and the man begins to walk and jump around the temple and excited and, and a crowd begins to gather around Peter and John and Peter looks at the opportunity and starts preaching the word, calling people to repentance and godliness through Christ. And the temple officials come in and they break up the crowd and they arrest Peter and John. These same officials who had just arrested and killed Jesus were now arresting Jane, uh, Peter and John. And they send them to jail and these guys gather together and they're well, what are we going to do with these guys? And so the next day, the, what they call the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, gathers together with the high priest and the high priest's family to discuss what to do with these guys. And so they bring Peter and John in and Peter, again, uses the opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus in front of the same people who had just put Jesus to death. And at the end of his short sermon, in Acts 4, and verse 12, he says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is how he ends his statement of defense to the men who are going to decide his fate. Salvation is found in no one else. This is narrow. This to some is offensive. This is unfair. Many in our society don't even like this statement. In fact, it's one of the reasons that many leave Christianity. How can you discount people who sincerely follow and believe in God within their own interpretation? Some of you here today have wrestled with this. Some of you here today have not gone to church in a long time because of this. But the modern church did not make this up. It's been here since the first century. No other name that leads to salvation except that of Jesus Christ. Because when you spend three years with a friend and watch him beaten and crucified and buried, and then just a few days later you're having breakfast with him, you believe anything he says. Peter had just had breakfast with a risen Jesus. Peter, who had just denied knowing Jesus, full of courage, looks them straight in the eye and tells them who Jesus really is. There's no other name or way for a person to find salvation. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
These temple authorities, officials were shocked, astonished at the courage of Peter and John. Two unschooled and ordinary guys. No theological training. Fishermen who had been with Jesus. And being with Jesus had given them this incredible courage. Sometimes you and I get so afraid to talk to people about Jesus because we don't know enough. Oh, I just learned. I don't really know what to say or how to say it. These men were unschooled, ordinary working men. And the theological teachers were shocked at their courage. Because when you have breakfast with a risen person, you believe you lose all kinds of fear. And you do and believe anything they say. So they have them leave the room and discuss what to do. Under great public pressure, they bring them back in and they threaten their lives and command them not to preach Jesus anymore. And Peter tells them, I can't do that. I'm not going to obey a command if it doesn't come from God kind of thing. And and so they let Peter and John go, but they threaten their lives with further threats, it says. They, they, they threaten them, and, and they leave Peter and John go. And so where do you think they went? On vacation? Didn't they escape the city? Run to safety? No, because when again, when you've had breakfast with someone who has just risen from the dead, you lose all fear. So they go to midweek. They go to small group. They go to church. They go back to the gathering, the assembly of Christians who were together praying for their release, not knowing what would happen to them. And when they get back with the Christians and tell them their story, what we have is a written record of a prayer that they prayed during this time. But my question to us would be, what would we pray? You just got out of jail for preaching Jesus. Your life has been threatened. You have a family that needs you and and needs your support. What would you pray? What would your strategy be at this moment? These Jesus followers get together. And in verse 23, we have it recorded here. So awesome. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They acknowledge God's power, his omnipotence. They acknowledge that he's in control. He's a big God. He's too big. He made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Sovereign Lord. We pray thanks God for today. It's beautiful outside. Thanks God for the snow in the mountains. Sometimes our prayers are so small. These guys had just had their lives threatened. And they're acknowledging the power of this immense God. And they start quoting from a psalm. 
And it didn't, it didn't look, because it didn't look like God was in control, but they trusted him wholeheartedly because of what they had already seen God do in Jesus and through the apostles. In verse 25, he says, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They're quoting a psalm, and what we would call this is a messianic psalm. When you read this psalm, it's, it's, it was written a thousand years before the events of this, of what was going on, and yet uh, the people here, as they're gathering and praying and acknowledging and seeing what's going on, they realize David predicted this, prophesied this a thousand years ago. That's how big our God is. Jesus was the fulfillment of the, of the promise God had made to Abraham. And, and they pray, indeed. And so they quote that psalm and then they say, the events that are happening right now, indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God, none of this took you by surprise. None of this shocked you because it was in your will and in your power from the beginning. And so, God, we are not worried. We are not afraid. We know that this was your will before the beginning of time that you decided long ago. We trust you. We believe in your will and promise. We may not agree with our specific plan about how you rolled it out, but you're so big. You're so amazing. Your ways and promises are way better and beyond, and beyond our plans our promises, and that we trust you, God. It's amazing. The faith of our brothers and sisters. They realized that all the stuff that was happening that seemed like God was not in control, they acknowledged God, no, this is all your will. Think about your perspective on challenges in your life next time you pray. It may be God refining, allowing, letting you undergo some of these things so that you may acknowledge him, his sovereignty, his will, his power. And so, God, we have a request. We have something to ask you. It's good to ask God for things. Amen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and protect us. Watch over us and keep us. Cause our portfolios to grow, our waistlines to shrink, and our kids to get scholarships. Help me get an A on that final. Help me to pass my biology class. Please help me get a date this week. Help me to finalize that deal. I pray for my promotion. The pastor who, who I, I got a lot of this content from, his name is Andy Stanley, he said this, we pray little prayers, and perhaps that's why so little happens. We pray little prayers, and perhaps that's why so little happens. This convicts me because I realize sometimes in my prayer life, I'm just like this. I'm praying with my kids right now every day when we go to school. And we say pray in the car, and I'm praying for their safety. I'm praying that they listen to their teachers. <laughs> So they don't get too distracted. But I remember the, just the other day I was praying and I was like, I don't want, I want my kids to understand that God's way bigger than obey your teacher. 
And so I started praying, God, in front of my, my two, uh, Bella and Raquel, I started praying, God, I just want to thank you that it was your plan to make me Bella and Rocky's daddy. And I love being a daddy to Bella and Rocky because it was in your will. And God, you are so, I started praying like that. And I don't know if they're paying attention. Do you know what I mean? But, but the point is, I want my girls to see a God that is bigger than just keep me safe. Help me get through the day. You guys with me here? Look at, let's look at what they actually said. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They didn't change their strategy. All of us, some of us, not all of us, but maybe some of us, would be like, God, help us to be wiser in the way that we present the gospel. God, give us some bodyguards for Peter and John. We need to protect them. Actually, Peter and John, it may be good for you guys to take a break from preaching for a little bit, kind of lay low, because you've stirred it up a little bit too much. No, these guys pray and they say, God, enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In other words, God, do something so miraculous, so amazing through us by the name of Jesus to where those around us will be so amazed by you and your power. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God Boldly. This is your brothers, your sisters in the first century church. After being persecuted, after their leaders being imprisoned and their lives threatened, can you imagine what Peter's wife was feeling when he didn't come home that night? And yet she's at church after seeing him and hearing what's going on saying, Enable us to speak boldly. They spoke the world, the word of God boldly. And here's the thing. It did not look like this. It did not look like this. This is not bold. This is not bold. This is stupid. This is dumb. This is in the way. This is distracting. This doesn't cause people to lean in. This causes people to run away. This does not reflect fearless Christianity. I would go another mile here and talk about our social media presence as well. Some of the debates and some of the political comments and some of the different things going on, and even within our own congregation. You may think you're bold. You're not bold. You're distracting from the gospel of Christ. Because when the first century Christians spoke the word of God boldly, it attracted people. 
not to the right doctrine or translation of the Scriptures, but to one single event. The resurrection of Jesus. In fact, even for us, a way to view the resurrection is to say, you know, and I, t- I think I did this in Easter a couple of years ago where I talked about how we believe that Jesus rose from the dead because Matthew, a tax collector who was an eyewitness to all that was going on, wrote about it. Because Luke, who was a doctor and, and thoroughly researched all the events of that time, wrote about it and gave us a document. Because James, the brother of Jesus, what would you have to do to convince your brother that you rose from the dead. And here James is saying, Jesus is Lord, my brother, my older brother. He came back from the dead. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the right doctrine, to the right translation, to the right church, No, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that there were no needy persons among them. This event, resurrection, led to fearlessness, which led to selflessness, selflessness. Because when you don't fear loss, you become more selfless. You become more compassionate. You become more generous. And that selfish culture leaned in because they were curious about this selfless people. You know why we can be confident today? It's not because our candidate was elected or terrorism is eliminated or minimum wage is raised or is not raised. It's because God raised Jesus from the dead. And because he lives, we can be confident. And because he lives... We can be bold. And because he lives, we can live lives that cause people to lean in and not lean away. So, what will our once upon a time story be? As compassion waned and the racial divide got deeper and deeper and people mistrusted and government was corrupt... There was a people who seemingly had no fear. They were informed, but not worried. They were responsible, but compassionate. They were involved, but not divisive. They had personal conviction, but they weren't judgmental. They were the Christians. And the worse things got, the better they got, because these Christians were around. And some were Democrats and some were Republicans. And some we didn't know where they stood politically because, and, 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 and we were better because they were among us. And the world was not worthy of them. You and I, brothers and sisters, are stewards of the faith. For our generation. We set the tone. We set the pace for even the next generation. So what will our story be? Can I give you something to do this week? In light of this? As you came in today, I gave you guys all an invitation card. 
can't seem to find mine. But it was here. I had it. Anyway, did I drop it over there? Oh, sorry. Thank you, sir. Did everybody get one on their way in? Lift it up. Take it out. Let me see everybody have it. Can I give you one step this week? Just one step in our once upon a time story. Can I give you one step this week? Invite someone to church. Just this week, next seven days, from Sunday to Sunday, you just take this one and you just give it to somebody and say, I want to invite you to this gathering of people that love God, that love one another, or at least we try to love one another, that come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. I just want you to see what Jesus does in bringing people together. Would you come with me this Sunday? You know, next Sunday we're going to do a, a Super Bowl Sunday. It's going to be Super Bowl Sunday theme. And so we want to encourage everybody to come in their sports jerseys, you know, or your favorite team sports jersey. Just have a fun time as a family together. Invite somebody this week. Just one step, just one step in our once upon a time story. In 2017, once upon a time in 2017, when the world was getting darker, there was a community of fearless followers of Jesus in the Greater Long Beach Church of Christ who leaned in and took a leap of faith as a church. And our city and surrounding communities were better because of this one gathering of Jesus' followers. They were the most generous, not just in their local setting, but also in helping churches around the world. The most compassionate, looking for ways to meet needs in the community and actively involved. They were the most loving and selfless people. They were passionate about passing on the faith to the next generation. And they, they actually believed that they could change the world from this one gathering. And in fact, they did it. They did it. They were able to make a dent, make an impact around the world. Because in 2017, they decided to take a leap of faith and to live fearlessly, confidently, all because of a risen Jewish carpenter named Jesus. And the city of Long Beach and Cerritos and Norwalk and Downey and Los Alamitos and Rossmore and Seal Beach and Lakewood and Signal Hill were all better because of the Christians in that one community of followers. And believers. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Cast it off. Throw it off. Get rid of it. And let us run with perseverance, not giving up, not throwing in the towel, fighting with perseverance the race marked out for us, for our generation, for our culture right now fixing our eyes not on the political situation, not on all the executive orders, not on 
all the uh, all, all the stuff happening in Washington D.C. or on social media, or not, not not fixing our eyes there, but fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the beginning, and the perfecter, the end of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose hearts. Because it is worth it and it is working. Because our Savior, who walked into the jaws of death, was tough as nails. And he said to you and me, follow me. Follow me. And as you follow me, do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Let's go walk on the water together. Follow me. Do not fear. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com. 